Jesus, forever you are alive, forever you reign, forever you are with us. And Lord, ask that you would use Scripture to help us know how we can follow you every day, every hour of the week. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Well, I want to say hello to those of you watching in the community center, as well as those of you who are watching online. It's great to have all of you joining us. In the movie, The Devil Wears Prada, Meryl Streep plays boss from hell, almost literally. She's demanding, she's unreasonable, she treats her assistant like a slave, as she does in this short scene from the movie. Take a look. Well, good morning, Miranda. Let me, Isaac. I don't see my breakfast here, my eggs here. Where are my eggs? Excuse me! Pick up the Polaroids from the lingerie shirt. Where's that piece of paper I had in my hand yesterday morning? Girls need new surfboards or boogie boards or something for spring break. Hello? The twins also need flip-flops. Pick up my shoes from Blahnik and then go get Patricia. Who's that? Go, 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 go! Get me that little table that I like at that store on Madison. Get us a reservation for dinner tonight at that place. Get me a good review of my mind. You know it's delivered today. Where is everywhere? Why is Starbucks? How am I supposed to work on these? Ever feel like that in your job? My favorite line in that is find me that piece of paper I had in my hand the other day. I am pretty sure that I have said that to my assistant. In fact, I'm a little nervous to show that clip for fear the staff here will say, you know what, that's kind of familiar, Dudley. Well, we're doing a sermon series called Thank God It's Tuesday about experiencing the Easter resurrected kind of life every single day of the week wherever we are. Easter shows us that Jesus' project is to make all things new. And that means where you're at Monday through Saturday. And one of the places all of us will be in a normal week, in one way or another, all of us will be at work. Though hopefully it's not as bad as in that movie. And we all have work to do. If you're a student, your work is school. If you're a stay-at-home parent, your work never ends. For those of you who are retired, we're going to call you what's nexters. Okay, even if you're not getting a paycheck, you still have work to do. God has work for you to do. If you're not dead, you're not done. So this applies to everybody. And I'm going to give some examples of that in, in a minute. Wherever we are throughout the week, in neighborhoods, offices, coffee shops, volunteer activities, God has work for us to do. And the goal of this sermon series is going to be to help us figure out what that is, find more joy in the work that we have to do, but even more than that, to understand that this is part of God's grand strategy to make all things new. See what a brilliant strategist that God is. He, he has scattered all 4,000 of us or so in this church, all over King County, Monday through Saturday, all kinds of places, planted us there as sleeper cells, as agents of his making new of all things. And what would happen? What would happen if every single one of us, every day, wherever we're at, would ask the question, Jesus, how can I be part of making all things new right here, right where I'm at on Tuesday? What would happen if we asked that? I will give you one word. Revival. Revival of marriages and families and people out of poverty and folks knowing Jesus. So, to help us experience more joy in work, even if you're retired or a student, stay-at-home parent, if everyone's included, 
and be part of God's strategy to make all things new. First, I want to start by just doing a little biblical theology about work and the theology of work, just so that we can have sort of the right viewpoint on this. And then after the theology, I'll, I'll give some practical suggestions. The first biblical principle that we need to understand is that work is holy. At the very beginning of the Bible, what do we see? We see that God is at work. It says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. I just love that word, hovered over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And then he just starts to make stuff. And the word Genesis uses is, it's God's work. God had a nine to five. And we are made in his image, which means we were also designed to work. And we, in fact, need to work. It's how we exercise our gifts and our skills, and it's how we grow in our character. And all work, as long as it's moral, ethical, and legal, is good. Now, in the church, we've had this horrible theology for centuries, really, that the only really holy work you might do is maybe your volunteer work here in the church. Or that really holy work, I mean, the highest calling, of course, is to be a pastor, Horse hockey. Okay, that is a very fancy theological word for that's dumb. Your work, whatever it is, is holy to God. I'm talking to you business people, you techies, you what's nixters, you stay-at-home parents and students. Jesus spent three years doing ministry. That's it, just three years. The rest of his life, he worked as a carpenter. Okay, Jesus had a job, not a ministry job, a real job. Serious. Genesis, you know, because as you all say, I only work on Sundays, right? So Genesis says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Take care of it. His first job was to be a gardener. And here's what gardening does. Gardening takes, rearranges the raw material of seed and earth, rearranges that to bring out new products, food and things like that that help human beings flourish. And then it says, God brought the animals to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Now, if I had made everything as God did, I would have wanted to name those animals myself. Right? I, I would not have delegated that because, you know, folks could mess that up. But here, God says to Adam, you name the animals. So Adam says, okay, well, you know, let's call that, that one right there. Let's call it a squirrel. And God says, okay, it'll be called a squirrel. And then Adam says, and, and this one here, we'll call it a cat. And God says, well, actually, it's a small demon, but cat's okay. <laughs> right? Oh, just send the emails. Just send the emails. I'm ready. <laughs> Gardening and naming. Bringing out potential and bringing out order, because that's what naming does. It's ordering. Gardening and naming, bringing out potential, bringing order. All work does, that, does those two things. All work rearranges and reorders raw material to bring out new products for human flourishing. Urban developers and construction workers take the raw material of wood and steel and create spaces for people to live and work in. And how those spaces are designed can affect our emotions, can create community, all things that are holy to God. Technology rearranges the raw material of silicon and electricity to create machines that store information or help us be more creative, as in computer graphics. Finance and investment banking. And some of you are like, no, 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 that can't be holy. Yes, it takes capital, rearranges it so that new products emerge. All work, if it is done right, important qualifier, is holy. And no work is menial. 
So for instance, take cleaning your house. Maybe you do that, maybe one of your kids does that, and if you figured that out, you should be a motivational speaker. <laughs> but if someone doesn't do it, right, if, if someone doesn't hover over the surface of the deep that is the chaos of your home, well, then it's going to get so dirty you're going to get sick. But also when it's clean, you, 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 you're, it's more ordered, you're better able to think and to thrive and to live and all of that. There will be work in heaven. And some of you are like, oh, man. <laughs> well, then it's not heaven. Really? Ask someone who's unemployed. Ask someone who's retired and feeling bored. Work is holy. Now, that does raise the question, then why is it so hard so much of the time? Why is it no fun so much of the time if it's holy? Well, there's this thing called sin that entered into our world and messed up all kinds of stuff. After, an, after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, all kinds of things got wrecked by sin, including work. And God said as a result of the fall, through painful toil, you will eat food from the ground. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. Now, a lot of folks read that verse and say, see, work is a result of the fall. No, 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 no. Work was in Eden before the fall. That work got hard. That there are thorns and thistles in our work. That's the result of the fall. See, because of sin, now folks undercut each other at work or they backstab or there's booms and busts and unemployment and all of that stuff. All kinds of things that make work hard. A couple of days ago, I pocket dialed my assistant. My phone was in my pocket. Somehow it dialed her, so all she could hear when she picked it up was static. Um, well, that day happened to be Administrative Assistance Day. But here's the thing. I am so lame that if my assistant doesn't put Assistance Day on the calendar, I forget that it's Assistance Day. So it is terrible to be my assistant. That's going to be the point of this story. Well, someone said to her that day, well, is Scott going to get you a card or take you to lunch for Administrative Assistance Day? And she said, no, but he did pocket dial me today, and I know that's his way of saying he cares. <laughs> Sin. Sin causes that. But work itself is holy. Second biblical principle. Through our work, Jesus changes the world. You know, in Genesis, God could have tended the garden himself, but he left space for us to do that, space to be co-creators with him. Adam and Eve's charge was to extend the conditions of the garden, the joy, the right relatedness to God and each other, push those conditions out from that little garden all the way to the ends of the earth. And that's our charge as well, in the places we're at all throughout the week. And contrary to our culture that says, oh, I don't really matter, I'm not really important unless I'm rich or famous or launch some giant nonprofit, the Bible says no, no, in your office, school, neighborhood, you are a culture shaper, a difference maker, an agent of Easter to help make all things new right where you're at. So that's the theology. So then practically, how do we apply this? What if, for instance, you were Meryl Streep's assistant in that movie? How would you find more joy at work? How would you be part of the making new of all things in your job? Well, I can't answer that for every single job. This takes a little bit of Holy Spirit creativity for all of us. But over the next few sermons, what I want to do is give as many examples as I can of homemakers and mid-level managers and tech people and all who are trying to do this. I'll give as many examples from as many different kinds of work as I can. But I can't do it for every single job. But there are some principles that you can use to kind of help figure out how you can take Jesus into your work with you. And the first is obvious. For more joy and meaning out of work, you've got to pray for that place. 
Maybe it's the place you work. Maybe it's a school down the road from where you live. Pray for that place. And as you pray, the Holy Spirit is going to start giving you some creative ideas about how you can participate in the making new of all things right there in that place. Second, find the redemptive purpose in your job. So uh, some of you are chuckling. There is no redemptive purpose in my job. No, all work, all work in one way or another contributes to human flourishing. Find how your work does that and it becomes more meaningful. Heard a story about a man who owned a car shop, and he pulled his employees together for a a day away, kind of a business retreat thing, and he asked the typical day away kind of question, what business are we really in, right? So finally someone said, well, we sell cars. And he said, yes, but deeper than that. Someone else said, we fix cars? He said, no, deeper than that. This went on for three hours. Just tedious, right? Finally someone said, we fix people's transportation problems. And from there, they started out of that one phrase, they started a whole ad campaign across the city. We fix your transportation problems. They started, started a rental car business. All kinds of things started to branch out from their car dealership. But more than that, the, the staff, particularly the sales force, started to enjoy their jobs a whole lot more. You know why? Because suddenly their attitude went from, how can I sell you the most expensive car I can, to what are your transportation problems and your needs? How can I help you? That made their job more meaningful because they were helping people. So how would you complete these two sentences? My real business, regardless of your title, my real business is what? The way that helps people is. And there's um, a a blank page, a note page in your bulletin. And what I'd, I'd invite you before you leave today, though not now because I'm preaching and that distracts me, but before you leave... To answer those two questions right there, my real business is the way that helps people is. Answer those questions. Take that paper home, put it on your refrigerator to remind you all week what God is really doing through you and through your job. I've mentioned before a stay-at-home mom I know of in Silicon Valley who got tired of folks implying that her job as a stay-at-home parent wasn't very significant. So when people now ask what she does, her answer now is, I'm socializing two homo sapiens into the Christian ethic so that they can be agents for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia that God has always intended from the beginning of all time. (laughs) And then she'll say, and what do you do? (laughs) What is your real redemptive, deeper purpose in the work that you do. Find it, and it will be more meaningful. And then last practical step, cultivate a redemptive imagination. See, ultimately, finding more joy and meaning in our work involves relying on Jesus hourly. Ask Jesus to sanctify your imagination and give you ideas of how he wants to make all things new in your home, neighborhood, office, school, wherever you're at, Monday through Saturday. Back in the fall, I told you about a bus driver in San Francisco named Linda. But she knows that she is more than just a bus driver. Her real business is to create a sanctuary for city folk who are stressed out by their job, hurried and hassled and all of that, and they're trying to get somewhere. And her real job is to make that trip not just a bus ride, but a sanctuary where folks feel valued and cared for. So she knows all of their names, asks about their families, their jobs, keeps track of the details of their life. On holidays, she invites passengers who have nowhere to go over to her house to, in her words, kick it with her and her kids. 
As a result, people have bought her things like fur coats to try to say thank you, right? Offered their vacation homes for her to use. People will sometimes let two, three, four, five buses pass them by because they want to be on Linda's bus. Linda is a follower of Jesus, and for her, Jesus put her on the planet not just to drive a bus, but to be part of the making new of all things by how she drives that bus. And she understands what her real business is. And the way she does that is to every day get on her knees at four in the morning and say, Jesus, how can I be part of what you're doing today in my job? She has a redemptive imagination. In fact, I think we should make her the patron saint of this sermon series. Right? Because look at her. Does she look miserable to you? She looks pretty happy. One of the people who has done this exceedingly well in our church for decades is Tina Freed. Now, Tina has allowed me to tell her story as long as I say that she wants everyone to know that she's just an ordinary person, not some kind of super saint. So there, I said it. I still think she's a saint. Because of the way she lets Jesus into her ordinary day. For a long time, Tina worked as a doctor. And one time a young woman came to her who was pregnant, wasn't married, wasn't finished with college. This woman did not really want to terminate the pregnancy, but felt that she had no other choice. So Tina said, as a doctor, well, let's talk about options. Let's talk about alternatives. Well, this young woman was from South America, and she was Catholic. So Tina contacted a priest she knew who helped this woman and her boyfriend move through all the bureaucracy of getting married in the, in the church at that time and counseled them to make sure their relationship was strong and healthy. And they got married, and they have a great marriage. But Tina didn't stop there. No, 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 no. She and her husband continued to help this young family even after their baby was born and as this young couple was finishing college. One time, for instance, the baby wasn't sleeping. This young couple was exhausted. So Tina and her husband picked the baby up, went to their house, picked up the baby, told the young couple, just go to sleep, got ice cream, and drove the baby around until the baby fell asleep. Okay, now that's a house call. Right? Like, where was Tina when my kids were called? Like, that's all I want to know. Like, where was she? Well, eventually the couple moved away. Years later, Tina, Tina saw them again and, 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 and their daughter, and she turned to the daughter and said, well, hello, Marie. And the girl asked her mom, how does she know my name? And the mother said, oh, she has very good reason to know your name. She's the reason you're here. That's just one way Tina has been part of the making new of all things in her job as a doctor. But you know what? Tina has done that in her whole life. As a volunteer in this church, she's done that in her family. So I asked Tina to let us capture just a few highlights from her life on video. Please take a look. Hi, I'm Tina Freed. I've been a member of this church since 1973. Scott asked me to share my story. He thinks of me as pioneer woman. Well, he asked me to do it in three to four minutes. Now, when you're 84, this is really hard. I'll just give you a few highlights. In 1956, I graduated from the University of Washington Medical School. I was the only woman in my freshman class. That doesn't happen now. I saw people who were doctors, and I said, if they can do it, I can too. <laughs> Shortly after graduation, I met Harold Freed, a pharmacist and a widower with two little children, and I married him three weeks later. What can I say? It was love at first sight. And together we raised four children. Harold and I decided that we would take international students into our home to live with us 
and we in turn visited them in their homes. This introduced us to cultures worldwide. As a result, we saw poverty in some of these countries that was just horrific, and we came home feeling we needed to do something about it. So Harold and I decided to introduce Heifer International and Agros International to Bell Press. Heifer supplies farm animals and Agros provides land ownership for very poor people around the globe. So we organized a number of heifer fairs here and one was a very audacious effort. We filled the downstairs basement floor of the old building with live animals. Along comes our senior pastor, Dick Leon, and he leans down to pet a goat, and before you know it, that rascal had gobbled up half of his flowered tie. This is the beginning of the expanded alternative gift market that we have in our church today. At the end of February 1995, God spoke clearly to me, I want you to take a scouting trip to Guatemala to see what our church can do. Ten days later, I had 18 people ticketed to go. This group was older uh, in their 60s and 70s with my husband at the age of 80. So we weren't spring chickens. It was a very rugged trip. It's just rocky, ill-defined, mountainous roads that curve around the mountain and very kind of dangerous. Out of this scouting trip came our Journey with the Village program in which our church has been a part of building many thriving villages in Central America. In 1998, Harold was told he had three months to live. I was devastated. However, with the help of hospice, family, neighbors, and a lot of you in this congregation, he survived for five years in a hospital bed in the kitchen. Harold and I often commented that these were some of the finest years of our marriage because we learned the sanctity of the ordinary. After his death, I heard clearly from heaven, don't grieve for me, it's beautiful here. I really feel blessed. Whenever whenever things got really bad, Jesus was there. I can't imagine going through a day without saying, what do you have in mind, Lord? And then doing it. Scott has said, you're a pioneer woman. I say, maybe, but I say, Jesus woman, definitely. I just love her to death. And I have ever since I came in. In fact, one of the reasons I love this church so much is because it's filled with Tina, people like Tina and so many of you who are the same. I love that Jesus woman for sure. And at 84, she's a what's nixter. 
And do you think Tina has stopped? Of course not. She lives in a retirement, retirement community and has become sort of the unofficial healthcare answer person slash chaplain to the people in that community. She listens to their problems, prays with them, helps them navigate the healthcare system because she's been a doctor. If you're not dead, you're not done. In her job as a doctor, as a volunteer in this church, in caring for her husband in retirement, Tina has been an agent of Easter through all of that. And I love what she said at the end. I can't imagine not starting a day without saying, what do you have in mind today, Lord? And then doing it. So as we come to communion, I'd invite you to ask Jesus. Yeah, i got some time here. Ask Jesus to show you what your real job is and how it helps other people. Maybe write that down on a card and take it home. And then every day, let's pray Tina's prayer this week. What do you have in mind today, Lord? And then do it. Because as we pray that in our schools, offices, assisted living centers, as the Holy Spirit sanctifies our imagination, we become part of God's grand strategy to plant us as sleeper cells, agents of Easter, participants in the making new of all things all over King County. And our work becomes more rewarding. And we live Easter every single day. And bit by bit, God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven right here on Tuesday. So where will you be on Tuesday? Jesus says right there, let's get to work and see what I can do. So Jesus, that is our prayer. We pray Tina's prayer. What do you have in mind today, Lord? Now help us do it. In your name, amen.